I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Emily Friedlander, and you're listening to episode 17 of the Thump Podcast. Each week, we bring together a panel of Thump editors to discuss the people and stories shaping contemporary electronic music and nightlife. Today, we'll be doing a special episode about Radiohead in honor of the 20th anniversary of their 1997 album, OK Computer. OK Computer was one of the first super successful electronic rock records, as in an album sort of midway between electronic music and rock, and it was certainly influential for a lot of us. We want to talk about some of the ways that Radiohead were influential and a shaping force in electronic music, and also some of the ways in which their work with electronic music helped shape rock. Do you all want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Ezra Marcus. I'm the associate editor. And I'm Colin Joyce, the managing editor. Big Radiohead fan. <laughs> I'm Emily Friedlander, Pisces, Sunshine, and also a really big Radiohead fan, but specifically a really big Kid A fan. All right, guys, tricky question. What is your favorite Radiohead song of all time? Uh, I have a context-specific answer here. I was really big into Radiohead my freshman year of high school, which is when In Rainbows came out. And so that was kind of like my big entry point into the band. And I saw them open their tour for In Rainbows in Tampa, Florida, my hometown. And I remember wading through the opening set, which was Liars, actually, and having to pee really bad right before their set started and running to the bathroom and hearing from inside of a, a porta potty at this giant amphitheater the bass line from All I Need and then like sprinting back as that song started. It was just, it sounded like so huge in that moment in an amphitheater. And it was also the first concert that I went to that wasn't a Christian rock concert. So I had a bunch of strangers smoking weed around me at a show, which was, it made the the whole experience all the more full. Yeah, I like Creed. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do, Ezra. Oh, no, I'm, I mean, I'm kidding. I, I think that my favorite um, Head record is probably also in Rainbows because, I mean, I'm, 24 and it also came out when I was like a sophomore in high school and yeah I mean I don't know I, I don't have any like particular site specific memories but I definitely listened to Reckoner over and over again and I mean honestly a lot of songs from that album I like I love the videotape Reckoner I mean and then I don't know picking a favorite seems a little bit arbitrary but I think that's probably the album of theirs that I've had spent the most time listening to for me it was like a really early exposure to like 
chill zoner shit like all of my experience of rock music to the point that I discovered Radiohead was like grunge classic rock like radio alt rock which was like such a different thing that I mean it was definitely like a huge huge record for me and what about you Emily do you have a favorite well I was from an earlier generation of Radiohead fans probably was too young when the Benz came out got into them around the time like uh, after OK Computer came out but liked OK Computer but my real generational album was Kid A and then Amnesiac I have my own like situational memory that I will tell you guys about later but I think my favorite song from Kid A at least is How to Disappear Completely I think that there's this really beautiful part of the song where he's just singing wordlessly it's sort of like it's really hard to talk about their song in terms of like bridge and ver- like verse and chorus right especially when you get to that period of their career yeah which is what i like about them but there's this one part where he's just like singing like a note or two notes like a i don't know if i want to sing it like <laughs> uh two notes in a row very long note legato and He's like singing the same phrase over and over and over again, and then eventually it melds with a synth wash, and then you can't tell whether you're hearing a synth wash or his own voice. And I think that that showed like the amazing sound design of the album, but also just was very interesting to me in thinking about the divide between man and machine, and I never heard anything like it before. So let's talk about this piece we just ran on sort of where this all began, which was OK Computer. Colin, so Dan Weiss sort of ends with this really evocative line, which was, you could say that they, Radiohead, helped make computers OK. What was he trying to suggest in this piece? Yeah, so I think that to get into it, we maybe have to talk a little bit about like where Radiohead was coming from situationally. Like to that point, they had made Pablo Honey and the Benz, which were both full of these really nasally distortion rock songs or like quiet ballads. Like they were like very much a guitar band. Like and that's what people knew them for. And then there's OK Computer, which does have lots of guitars and stuff. But I think that one of the things he says in the piece is it's like you start to on OK Computer and like the scope of their career, lose track of what instrument is doing what thing. As you were saying about how to disappear completely, like there's texturing and processing done to the instruments that starts to make them like feel sort of like surreal or not played by humans in the same way. So yeah, I mean they're not like making beats on this record in the way that they would come to in the years that followed, but they were definitely starting to play with texture. They um, in the piece he mentions that they had gone on tour with DJ Shadow in the months leading up to OK Computer. Introducing had come out the year before, which was playing a lot with like really small samples and how you can make things that were played by people sound like they were played by machines. And they did some of that on songs like Airbag, where they would take uh, drum loops and cut them up and rearrange them, which they would do like way, way more as time went on. Trip hop was happening at the time in general, which was a big thing in the... UK scenes that they were running in, just like lots of really slow droning loops. And I think you can feel that in the playing on 
okay computer, even if it's not actually made by machines. I forget who said it exactly, but one of the members said that they wanted to make something that sounded like a Portishead song, but even more mechanical and stilted, which, I mean, I think speaks to what they were trying to do with that record. It was moving in the direction of like machine language, even though it was still played by people to that point. One thing that's interesting about Radiohead is that like when we talk about modern music and we talk about like our modern culture as having like a lot of anxiety around technology or like, you know, or te- technology is like this thing that everyone's thinking and talking about and that's true. But the 90s actually were like, I think a little bit more in a way obsessed with and afraid of technology or at least like... Maybe for good reason. For too. good reason. <laughs> well, at the, I mean, they, they, it hadn't... It, they could tell it was like a few steps away from getting to where it was going to be as in where it is now where it's like every part of our day is filtered through technology in some way back then it was more like this y2k sense of like impending dread of like mm-hmm. holding on to reality to rock music to guitars while this like inscrutable technological like end of the world kind of like apocalypse sense seemed to be on the horizon i mean that, that anxiety you can see in things like the matrix like all these this is this idea of like what would technology become was present in a way in the 90s that it isn't necessarily now i mean 1997 i don't think i was enough of a sentient adult to get into okay computer yet but the late 90s i remember like genuinely wondering whether all of the computers would crash for sure like you just did not right yeah (laughs) yeah i remember my my parent that was sort of this like abstract thing in the background it was like oh well you know like the world might end for some obscure reason i didn't understand but Mm -hmm. i was i'm getting a little bit ahead but my greatest memory of radiohead personally was going to see them on tour i believe it was for kid a basically in Liberty State Park in New Jersey. I grew up in New York, but it's like right over the river in New Jersey near the Liberty Science Center. And I saw their show. It like emotionally wrecked me. And then about two weeks later, September 11th happened. And the bodies from the Twin Towers were actually brought to that park like where we had been standing. So that is why they hold such a mythic place in my imagination because they were singing about the world ending. They were also very politically outspoken and they perfectly captured the feeling of the time. But interestingly, it was a time when the internet wasn't as prevalent in everybody's day-to-day lives. The computer still felt foreign rather than like within, like inside of us. I've been reading... This book of essays by Mark Grief, who is like the founder of N Plus One. It's called Against Everything. It's good. It's heady. Um, but he has one essay about Radiohead that was originally on N Plus One and um, was preprinted in the book. And he had a really great line, which was sort of the thesis of the piece. He said that they were a band that were more able than like other bands at the turn of the millennium to pose a single question. How should it really ever be possible for pop music to incarnate a particular historical situation? And he had like another passage where he kind of described what the atmosphere of the late 90s was like and sort of what our relationship to media and electronics 
was. At the turn of the millennium, each individual sat at a meeting point of shouted orders and appeals. The TV, the radio, the phone and cell, the billboard, the airport screen, the inbox, the paper junk mail. Each person discovered that he lived at one knot of a network existing without his consent, which connected him to any number of recorded voices, written messages, means of broadcast, channels of entertainment, and avenues of choice. He said it was a culture of broadcast and indiscriminate seeding, which needed to reach only a very few, covering vast tracts of our consciousness. To make a profit, only one message in 10,000 needed to take root. Therefore, messages were strewn everywhere. Does that sound like far off from what we experience now? It sounds like it's like anxiety inducing to hear it laid out like that because it's it's become such like an ambient thing now that I definitely don't even think about it like or I even like welcome it. I seek out more information. I constantly follow more people on Twitter. Like mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in the way that I live, but to hear hear it in words is like it just sounds like a lot. <laughs> I, I think for the younger people get, I mean, kids younger than me, these things barely occur to them because they're so natural. You know, in, their engagement in this giant web of, of whatever is like an unconscious thing. But Radiohead were definitely on the forefront of confronting it in a, a mixture of an adversarial way and um, embracing it. I mean, they were the first band, one of the, one of the first major bands with a website. And they welcomed online forums. They welcomed that kind of community. And that's sort of a big argument in the piece, Colin, which is that they were both lyrically chronicling this anxiety about technology while also musically incarnating the language of technology. Yeah, I mean, you have things like fitter happier which is like the sound of a computer talking like it's removing like all i mean it was programmed by a person but it was like removing like any sound of a human on the record and i mean they weren't the first band to do that i mean obviously there was like booming rave culture around the world at that moment there was lots of electronic music happening but hearing it in the context of like a like rock record that sold a lot of copies is rare the piece identifies like dark side of the moon as an antecedent with the synths and stuff that happened there but it it really seems like one of the first rock records where you had a sense of like a computer being in the room when it was made definitely and this feeling of sort of uh being i don't know maybe maybe there was an anxiety of being like encroached upon and exploring like how identity would change when life became increasingly computerized I mean, Radiohead and Tom York are, they're a moody band, they're moody people, and they present these things in, like, a a moody way, which gives people license to say that it's a criticism of these things, and that's true. And they were definitely exploring the anxiety around the rise of technology and networked living. But I think they were also totally fascinated by it and kind of, in a way, loved it. I mean, they went on and made five albums about it, and I think that they're, like, just the aesthetic of, like, living in multiple places at once and like being an android was something that they found beautiful and not just scary and not just like oh my god like i'm a paranoid android like they i think they were like they thought it was a really exciting time for 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 anybody right someone who reads 1984 and is like that's sick i want to live like that (laughs) but i don't know yeah i don't know i think that you know as you said they definitely were in their extra musical career embracing technology 
they had the website. They were one of the first artists to sell their album direct to fan via the internet. I always read that, especially alongside Tom York's like outspokenness about like international banks system. I remember him like when I was in, a teenager going off about like the IMF all the time. <laughs> like many alongside that, I think that there was maybe. Maybe they were asking themselves a lot of the same questions that we continue to ask ourselves about what are the upsides and downsides of technology. You know, something that I like to think about every day is like our developments, uh, such as social media, helping us or hurting us. And, you know, as we sort of see this initial like liberatory promise of the internet give way to the internet being kind of controlled more and more by like a smaller and smaller number of corporations. I think that they were also asking themselves, you know, will technology be something that frees us or something that does quite the opposite? And, you know, in, for example, selling your own record, like that's a really big statement of independence and of using the internet to do things your own way and but at the same time they're obviously like like had other opinions about the internet that it was much more um something much more like frightening and scary totally i mean even to do what they did literally sell their music independently and not like owe anybody anything to do that would be harder to do in like today's internet than now like you have to pay like hosting fees more and like you'd have to pay someone to build like your own web store otherwise you're paying a fee to the web the like the many web stores that have popped up in the wake of radiohead first doing that you know also shout out to nine inch nails who are also on the forefront of all this stuff that's mentioned in the piece too i think they also were interrogating a lot of the the same things at the same time (laughs) and also shout out to hip-hop producers who were making mixtapes and distributing them for free probably much more like way before a lot of rock artists were which is something someone pointed out to me that i thought was like important to point out you know a few years went by and radiohead come out with this completely bewildering, but I think magnificent statement, which is Kid A, where they didn't ditch guitars entirely, but Kid A was not really a rock record in any conventional sense of the term. I don't even know if I would say it was an electronic album because it wasn't a dance record. It pulled on aspects of rock and dance, not in a way where, um, I know we talked about in the piece like Paranoid Android, which sort of had many different like musical motifs and sections and sort of, you know, you saw this initial impulse of them um, experimenting with combining many styles into Mm -hmm. um, one piece. But this was not even like that. Like this completely exploded the structure of what a rock song or a pop song could be. I personally... I think that this conversation that we're having is a valid one. I also, you know, think of this album and Amnesiac as something that is almost like outside of all of these dichotomies in a way that I think of certain other artists that sort of transcended any real categorization and just were like humans using materials at the disposal to make a statement that mm-hmm. didn't have to be one thing. But yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about that question of whether it's an electronic album or something else. 
I mean, it definitely draws a ton on what was happening in IDM at the time. The way that, like, I, th- I think, like, Autechre is, like, a huge, huge reference point for me for for that record because, like, the way that Autechre pieces kind of, like, feel like they're unfolding in every direction at once, like, it feels non-linear, honestly, because it's, like, not really being... It's not music that's being played. It's, like, playing itself, almost. And I think that even if um, if Kid A was slightly more composed than that, like, they're not doing, like, generative things on Kid A, but it has that same feeling of, like, a blossoming rather than, like, a start-to-finish sort of experience. Except that you can kind of, like, really sing along to it, which yeah. makes it more of an album with, like, commercial pop appeal. Totally. Yeah, no, it, it definitely exists in this, like, middle space. Like, I don't know that there was, like, a band that had made pop music that, like, made anything that sounded like that to that point. I mean, I think that that's, like, their innovation is, like, debatable, I guess. Like, lots of people have said lots of things about Radiohead being the first band to do different things, but they were definitely the first band to be that successful to then make that move, which is cool like it's always really rad to see like people that have people that are playing stadiums then to say like nah like fuck this I'm like gonna do like what whatever it is I want to do I think something that was also like interesting about the record was that it had a very distinct feeling it was very very evocative of different moods but unlike most pop music or even rock music you really couldn't make out what the hell that they were singing about. They, there was very little, I wouldn't even call it poetry. Um, actually, in the Mark Grief piece, they talk about how if you like print out Radiohead's lyrics, it just looks like weird canned commercial phrases or like nursery rhyme lines. And th- there was this, like a mood-like storytelling, and it pointed at this big critique but did not ever directly state it, and that's why I found it very enigmatic at the time. Yeah, I wonder if the, I wonder if Kidae would be read in the same way as as this like removing the human from pop music or whatever. If it would be read that way, if it hadn't come out after OK Computer, because I feel like in a way, like it's it, people just read it in the context of what OK Computer set up. I mean, if you look at the two albums now and you were to weigh them against each other as far as like which is had a bigger impact on what music sounds like now. I mean, it's pretty clearly Kid A. If you turn on the radio, it sounds, the Lord album sounds like Kid A, you know, like of Grimes, et cetera. Like, there's just so much music that has, like, taken that jumping off point of, like, pop melodies on some extent, to some extent with, like, the weirdest possible electronic production and use that as, like, the, the palette for, like, making music that can connect with a lot of people, even though it's, like, has nothing to do with... I don't know, like, it's pretty pretty outside of, like, traditional pop music. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Radiohead and Bjork, like, are just, like, the two artists that have done the most, just to, like, in a really naturalistic way, use the technology that was available to them at the time to, like, express themselves. And, yeah, it's not, it's like you said, it's, like, neither, like, a rock band going electronic or, like, a techno act. It's just, like, a group of people who were using what tools that they could... Maybe they also foreshadow just a world in which genre distinctions are kind of less interesting to people in general. I feel like it's like very rare, at least right now, to see like a new 
indie artist that has exclusively one kind of instrumentation or the other, or that couldn't possibly evolve from one kind of instrumentation to the other. Right. And I think that, <laughs> as you're saying, is really part of what is exciting about looking back on that era of their music and that era of Bjork's music. And like a lot of the people like kind of at the edge of like experimental pop music at that time is that was like a big period of time for like advances in like digital audio workstations. There was just all of a sudden a lot more that you can do and everybody was figuring it out at once. And I think that there's obviously like throughout history and anytime like a new piece of tech comes along and changes music like an immense amount of stuff comes out of that and maybe that's what you hear on kid a is like the first time that like you're really easily able to like you're you're able to like reverse a vocal take with the click of a button instead of like playing it back through a tape player backwards you know or like manually rewinding and i don't know that you could just do a lot of stuff a lot easier i feel you could almost think about like the kind of things that Bjork and Radiohead were able to do in with like Ascendant, you know, Ableton and other like and all the, that kind of technology, like what they were able to do with that was comparable to what like new wave bands were suddenly able to do at the dawn of the eighties. Like like Radiohead being able to make the sounds that they could make on Kid A is like equivalent to like something like ten CC, I'm not in love, being able to make turn vocal tracks into instruments it's, it's an equivalent breakthrough in what technology can do to like push the boundaries of music so, so yeah i don't know i don't i don't see it as like anything other than just the natural progression of technology and sound who are some other contemporary acts who you guys think seem like antecedents to the kid a era radiohead so i guess i mean the really really obvious one is like alt j that band is not my favorite but they obviously like really really draw on that template of like people playing instruments and then making them sound like not those instruments they also earlier in their career were like kind of quasi anonymous which even though Radiohead wasn't it feels like tied into that spirit of Kid A there's like a mystery to it Obviously, you have stuff like, I don't think that the XX would necessarily like cite Radiohead as an influence, but I don't think that you get that kind of like slow, moody, electronic influenced pop music without Radiohead existing, or at least like without Radiohead being successful, the XX doesn't get as successful as they do. And they also definitely toe the line between rock band and electronic act, for sure. I also think that... Radiohead, um, as I said, set a precedent for artists that sort of exploded the grid, or especially uh, albums like Kid A did. And I actually sometimes think of artists like Arca as like antecedents sure. um, in that we are approaching music as sort of a composition. It's almost to me, it's almost like obviously flirting with various different like popular music styles and dance music styles, but it has a composerly free-floating quality that plays specifically with like organic versus artificial sounds. And even, and this is kind of a limb, like I also thought of someone like DJ Rashad as being, I'm not going to say he was influenced by Radiohead necessarily, I don't know if he was, and I don't know if Arca was, would say that he was like influenced by Radiohead, but... Rashad sort of taking 
the styles of footwork and then just completely blowing it wide open in a way that like a lot of other people have. And it's like I just viewed these people as sort of more like classical, like taking a, a classical composerly approach to structure, whereas other artists like the XX or, you know, Grimes that we mentioned, they seem to veer into like pop song structure or more electronic music structure, but not this sort of, you know, I mean, I guess... For sure. They draw on the sound, but not the, like, approach in the same Yeah, way. not the approach. And I can see why all of this makes me realize how much of a risk Kid A was because they were so famous, you right. know? This is not, like, niche music for people who were already converted to kind of experimental music. You have people who are famous now on the level of Radiohead making electronic kind of music, but this was like mainstream-ish alt-rock. Right. But I guess now that happens a lot too, in a way. Think of like Kanye. Mm -hmm. That was was what was in the back of my brain. Yeah. Yeah. People with huge platforms that are very very subversive i mean one artist who had a established career in a form of music that was very much based on real instruments and then went electric and shocked a lot of people is taylor swift who <laughs> sure definitely <laughs> definitely blew up the mold with i knew you were trouble but that, did she that ever? Is, that escape? is a hot ass take, Ezra. Yeah. Did she ever? <laughs> would you argue that she ever escaped pop music? I wouldn't say that she escaped pop music, but I would say that, similar to Radiohead, she turned something that was very much based on people's ideas of her were very much based on her being a country act and like playing acoustic guitar, and she definitely threw off a lot of her fans with that first drop on, on I Knew You Were Trouble and subsequently uh, completely abandoning her country roots. Was she trying ever trying to do anything other than make pop music? Not, not in the slightest. But at the same time, I think you can see like there's an artist like pushing against the limits of what an analog career will let them do. For f- f- what, what she was trying to do was make hard-hitting pop music. What Radiohead was trying to do was something else. But at the same time, I think that that dynamic of like artists st- fighting the constraints of the s- the stylistic limitations that come with like being a rock band or a country act or whatever is not a new as a battle that continues to this day something I, i've been thinking a lot about is how and in the editing of this piece is how the people that were influencing Radiohead that was inspiring this change is still stuff that's super influential right now, like Aphex, Autechre, like all of those things like are people are things that you can hear in, in in Arca, in like anybody that's like breaking the grid, as you say. Like all of those bands are also or acts are also still active and stuff too. It's it's kind of crazy how that era of experimental electronic music remains so fruitful as time goes on. I think it's probably the technology thing, but it just like continues to be a well of inspiration for people. But not Radiohead, interestingly enough, because they yeah, have, what happened? Who knows? Um, I think that they got really sad and wanted to write on guitars again. I don't know. So a moon-shaped pool is, I guess, what I'm referring to explicitly. So the Hail to the Thief happened to bring us up to a moon-shaped pool. Hail to the Thief happened. 
um, in Rainbows happened, both of which had elements of electronics. There was like, even on Hail to the Thief, which had a lot of guitars on it, they were processing them through like Max MSP and stuff like that. Um, in Rainbows had a lot of beats and synthesizers. Moonshake Pool has pretty much right. none of that. The King of Limbs. King of Limbs. That exists. <laughs> that is a record that exists. <laughs> um, Isn't that an EP? No, no. no that Yeah, that, that was like a <laughs> real... Full, full length record. And I just totally forgot that it happened. Yeah, a lot of people forgot King of Limbs. Uh, yeah. Well, th- I, that one also had a lot of beats. I guess that was kind of like the fulfillment of... That was the album where they sounded like all of the things that sounded like them. Yeah. Um, it was... It was uh, them catching up with the people that they'd influenced. So King of Limbs was 2011, and then they took five years before releasing a moon-shaped pool. I can't believe I forgot King of Limbs existed. Everyone forgets King of Limbs. <laughs> Sorry, to interrupt. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. I think we were really busy in 2011 specifically paying attention to all of these hybrid indie artists that were like capitalizing on social media to reach uh, their fan bases and like reach new audiences and that was like an exciting time uh, maybe we're just distracted yeah. by that uh, there was so much like electronic music that felt really new in 2011 that I think Radiohead doing like an album with a little bit of a techno beat didn't really make the impact Right. At that point. So then five years later, a moonshape pool is like the opposite. Um, They started that whole campaign with deleting all of their like social media accounts. I remember Um, that was like the final retreat from technology for them. They like put all they like deleted all their Facebook posts, turned their website to like a blank white page. And so basically the question that they started asking with OK Computer, which was what is going to become of the human race in the era of the Internet? Um, was answered, which was, right. get the fuck Yeah, fuck it, we're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then I think the record, at least, like, musically followed in tune with that idea. It was, like, really heavily piano-driven. There was one song that dated back even to the era where they were still making rock music. Which one was that again? The uh, True Love Waits, yeah. That's, which has, like, a really sad backstory. Oh, did you want to give the backstory? No, it's too sad. <laughs> Yeah, so really, it, the whole thing is a really sad record. Um, the end point of their grapple with technology is to retreat back to organic stuff and make the saddest record they've ever made. You wrote about it. I did. It's been a long time since I since I reread that piece, but um, it was about unplugging. Basically, it was about how when like real shit happens in your life, he had separated from his partner of like 25 years or something like that who ended up dying later that year he had separated with her and then I think when real shit happens in your life you like are forced to live in like the actual world instead of like caring about what's happening on the internet and I think that record is a testament to that and who knows where they go from here I mean obviously Tom York is still really plugged into electronic music his his other projects are really heavily beat driven, even when he's playing with people that are in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, <laughs> he's definitely still super plugged into avant-garde music. Um, you know, you just reminded me of that I peed next to Tom York once after seeing him DJ. <laughs> what? At Sydney, Australia at a very small club where I was interning at the time. And I, I got to go in because it was just like lines around the, around the block. 
And yeah, after I went to pee and I just realized I was standing next to Tom York. So it was a Radiohead miracle. <laughs> yeah, so he, I mean, uh, you raise a good point that he does do a lot of DJing. Yeah, he, he played a lot of really hyper contemporary stuff at the time. One thing I loved from a Moonshade Pool was the music video for Daydreaming by Paul Thomas Anderson, where it's like Tom wearing this sort of absurd like Rick Owens outfit walking through all these scenes like looking lost into like going through people's houses and laundromats and on and on and then he kind of like ends up in this like cave by a fire it's this like weird like yeah it's like kind of what you're saying it's like he's he's this this crazy combination of like a futuristic like m- mirrors and like images and media and all that but he's like looking for something like something real at the same you know the, the fact that it like it's like a return to real instruments or whatever it's it, it, to me that's like almost secondary to like it's like a return to emotion over style or something it, it just felt like it's something that he'd after all these years like there was some, they had like lost something that he was trying to get back and i just love that visual representation of that You've been listening to The Thump Podcast, a production of Vice Media and Thump. I wanted to shout out Tim Barnes, who engineers and edits The Thump Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at TimBarnes451. And we'd also like to shout out Lorna Doon, who made the music for this podcast and whose music can be heard at lornadoon.bandcamp.com. If you'd like to read some of the stories we've been talking about, please log on to our website, thump.vice.com. You can also follow us on social media over at twitter.com slash thump thump or facebook.com slash thump thump. Where can people follow you guys? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ezra underscore Mark. And I'm on Twitter at Outside Outa and in Radiohead's Addies forums, but I will not tell you my username there. Whoa, I am not even on those forums. <laughs> when was the last time you posted? Uh, I've actually never posted. I just lurk. It's a good. This is throwing out my uh, inside baseball knowledge, but it's a good place to pick up music news before the rest of the internet has it. Uh oh. And you can follow me at ad hoc Emily. If you like what you've heard, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Ratings help, but word of mouth is the only way we get this out there. Have a good one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.